last week, we looked at a passage in the Gospel of John in which Jesus was preaching at this massive festival in Jerusalem called the Feast of Booths, and he stood up from among the crowd, and he told the crowd, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So many people think they are living in true freedom in our day and age uh, when they're actually living in slavery to sin. And Jesus doesn't want you or me to live as slaves to sin, doing whatever sin tells us to do, going wherever sin leads us, because that's going to destroy us. Jesus loves you like nobody else loves you. You need to hear that. And Jesus loves you like no one else can love you. And he lived and he died and he rose again to set you free from sin so that you would stay free from sin. And in order to be free, in order to stay free, we have to trust in Jesus, right? I love that you don't have to clean yourself up first, okay? There's not a probationary period. There's not this six months probationary Christian thing. Uh, you don't have to impress God. You don't have to impress people. You must simply believe that Jesus is God, that you need him to free you from your sin forever. And if everybody who, who believes and everyone who keeps on believing, who abides in Jesus' word is truly free indeed. And this message of freedom in Jesus Christ is the most precious message we'll ever hear. It is our gospel. So why don't more people believe it? Why in the world is it so hard for so many people to believe it? Why, why do Christians struggle to keep believing it? And there are many self-proclaimed Christians who say they do believe this gospel, but then why do we see in their lives they're acting and talking and thinking exactly like non-Christians? Well, Jesus explains these things in the passage we're going to look at today. He's still talking to this crowd in Jerusalem. And if you've got your Bible with you, open up to John chapter 8, verses 31 to 47. We'll look at John 8, 31 to 47. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please let us give you one after the service. We want you to have a Bible of your own that you can read during the week. Or if you don't want us to give you one, let us know. We'd be happy to recommend some for you. Um, before we read this passage, uh, let's ask the Lord to help us now. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. Uh, we thank you for uh, telling us the truth about how things really are in our lives. Thank you for telling us the truth about how things really are in this world and, and for telling us the truth about how things really are in the spiritual world around us that we can't see. Uh, your gospel, your, your good news is so good, yet it seems that there are so many barriers, Lord, that keep us from believing it and embracing it fully in our lives. And so would you please forgive us for our part in that? And Jesus, we ask, we need your help. We, we ask you to please tear down any barriers in our lives that are keeping us away from you and uh, that are keeping us away from the freedom that you offer to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you please to move in this room now with power and in our hearts in power. Please give faith to those who do not yet believe and for those who do believe, please strengthen their faith 
And for all of us, Lord, please uproot in our lives any and all idols that are taking our eyes off of you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's begin. We're going to read a little bit through what we read last week. Let's begin by reading John 8, 31 to 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. My word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So in this conversation between Jesus and the crowd, the Jewish people assert that they are spiritually free, that they do know God, and that they know this because they are the great-great-grandchildren of Abraham who founded Judaism. But we know that Jesus tells us that simply knowing followers of God and simply knowing or being related to followers of God doesn't make you a follower of God. And on the contrary, Jesus says here that everyone who sins, that is everyone who disobeys God, uh, is a slave to sin. And the only way to be freed from this slavery to sin is to be set free by the Son, to be set free by Jesus, the Son of God, who is alone has the power to do this, who alone killed our sin on the cross for all who believe in him. Only Jesus can set us free. So Jesus begins to point out the problems he sees in the the crowd's way of thinking. He says, I have come from heaven. I'm here to love you. I'm here to tell you what I've seen with my own eyes in the presence of God the Father. But you don't accept my word. You want to kill me. You want to kill the one who came to set you free. And then in the last part of verse 38, Jesus tells the crowd that their father is not God. They have a different father. And they do what their father tells them to do. They don't do what God tells them to do. And in verses 39 to 40, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So here Jesus says there's a connection between how we act and who we belong to spiritually. Okay? There's a connection between how we act and who we belong to spiritually. He says, if you were truly Abraham's spiritual children, then you would be acting like Abraham acted. So how did Abraham act? Well, here's what Hebrews 11, 8 to 10 says. By faith, Abraham obeyed 
when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham acted by faith. And when God came to him and he spoke to him, Abraham trusted God. He believed God and he obeyed God. He did what God told him to do. Now, saving faith, this sort of faith, is not something that a mere human like Abraham could simply transfer to his great-grandchildren, right? He was their biological father, but he could not be their spiritual father in that sense. That's not something that anyone else can be for somebody else. And Jesus says that if that were possible for this crowd to, to biologically receive the exact same faith in God that Abraham had, then they certainly wouldn't be acting the way they were acting. See, Abraham didn't try to kill God. Abraham tried to obey God. But the crowd rejects Jesus. They reject his word. They, they want to kill him, and, and that revealed that they weren't really Abraham's spiritual children in that sense. In verse 41, Jesus says, You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So, so Jesus asserts that this non-believing crowd has a father who is not Abraham and who is not God. And he says that they're acting just like their father did. They're acting faithlessly, pridefully, and violently, just like their father did. And so the crowd replies, we're, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, when we read that, it's really possible here that the crowd is, is taking a jab at Jesus, right? Because Mary and Joseph, his parents, were accused of sexual immorality by everyone who saw how Jesus came to be born and who did not believe that God could make a virgin pregnant. And at the same time, the crowd is asserting that not only is Abraham their father, but they're saying that God is their true father. Okay. So we're coming to a point here. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So Jesus tells the Jews, Abraham isn't your spiritual father, and God isn't your father. The Lord isn't your God. <laughs> That's offensive, okay? Stand up in front of all this crowd and say, this is, he is not your father. If God were your father, then you would love me. You would love me because God the Father sent me from heaven to you. And you would love me because I'm here with you. I'm here. You celebrate that. You would love me because I'm here to free you from your slavery to sin. The way to know if someone truly knows God and loves God is if he or she loves Jesus. Because Jesus is the one true God. Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Gordon Ketty writes, It is impossible to love the Father and not be drawn to the Son, for it is in the Son that we uniquely and truly see the Father. 
We see the Father in Jesus. And does, does Jesus amaze you? I mean, seriously, like, have you ever thought about how does Jesus amaze me? What, what amazes me about him? During the week, do you, do you desire to be in the presence of Jesus? <laughs> do you want to experience more Jesus, more of his power in your life? Can you say with honesty as you look at your life that Jesus is, he's the best thing that ever happened to me. He really is. Do you desire to be at the center of, of, of the will of Jesus, to, to obey Jesus like Abraham obeyed Jesus, to, to go where he sends you, even if you don't know where you're going? Does it, does it ever blow you away that Jesus became your sin and my sin and he, he killed our sin eternally on the cross by being killed for you? We've heard this over and over. We have to remember that this wasn't forced on Jesus. He chose to do this for us because he loves us. Do, do, does it excite you? Do you love Jesus for rising from the dead, for proving and demonstrating to the world that he is God and that he has all power over life and death and hell and whoever is in him will not be defeated eternally? And that's exciting. Do you love Jesus for sacrificing everything that he had so that you could be friends with God? If you love Jesus like this, then it reveals that you love God. It shows that God is your father, that you're one of his children, that your will and your desires are in alignment with God who lives in you. And out of the overflow of your love for God, you desire to love others. And you desire to forgive others. And you desire to serve others just like Jesus loved you first and forgave you first and served you first. As God's child, you want to remain in him, to abide in him, to remain in his word. This is how you can know you belong to God. Jesus is the giver of true eternal life and true eternal freedom and true eternal joy. So why would anybody reject him? Why would anybody want to kill this, this man, this God-man? On verse 43, Jesus answers that. He tells the crowd, Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You cannot bear to hear my word, or you cannot hear my word. Why do non-believers not understand the message of Jesus? Why did we not understand the message of Jesus before he saved us? Because we could not bear to hear his word. It's not because Jesus wasn't communicating clearly. It's not because non-believers just need a little bit more convincing that Jesus really is God. It's because at the heart level, at the spirit level, they don't want Jesus and they don't want to see Jesus as God. 2 Corinthians says that the message of Jesus is the smell of death to those who are perishing. In their sin nature, they don't want Jesus. In our sin nature, we don't want Jesus. Why? Why wouldn't we want Jesus? Why wouldn't we want this awesome and loving God? Why wouldn't we want Jesus? Verse 44, Jesus tells us why. He says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All of us were non-Christians before Jesus saved us. And the reason why we did not always embrace Jesus is because we could not bear to hear his word. And the reason we couldn't bear to hear his word is because we were acting just like our father, the devil. And Jesus says that as children of the devil, it was our will to do the devil's desires. This is why people reject Jesus, because they're following the devil. Doesn't that seem a bit extreme, Dan? I mean, if you're not following Jesus, then, then you're following the devil. That seems to me exactly what Jesus says here. And that's, when I read the Bible, that's what I read over and over again. So let's unpack this a little bit, okay? Because in Western society, we don't talk about the devil much in churches like this, I would say. So let's, let's answer five questions about the devil, First, who is the devil? Well, the devil, who is also known in the Bible as Satan or Lucifer or Beelzebub, is an angelic being who fell away from heaven because of his rebellion against God. The devil is not make-believe. The devil is not simply the personification of evil. And if you've never read C.S. Lewis's book called The Screwtape Letters, you should read it. It's a good book. It's about how devil, the devil tries to convince us he doesn't exist. Or he tries to scare us so much that he is the only thing we focus on. The devil is, it's a living, conscious being. He, he was created by God. The devil, though, does not have the power that God has. It's not like there's God and the devil, right? There's God up here, and there's the devil down here. The devil does not have the ability to know everything or to do whatever he wants. The devil is called the ruler God of this present world. And the devil exists for the present time only because God, who is infinitely more powerful than him, allows him to exist for a while, okay, on earth. Second, what is the devil like? Well, the devil doesn't want to worship God, okay? The devil wants to be God. The devil wants uh, to be worshiped as God, so the devil hates the true God, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And Scripture says, and what Jesus says here is that the devil is a murderer and a liar. The devil is a tempter. The devil is a slanderer. The devil is an accuser. And there's absolutely no truth within the devil's character or words. Third, what does the devil do? Well, Jesus says in this passage that the devil is first a murderer. He's been murdering from the beginning. The devil robbed Adam and all of his offspring, us, of spiritual life. And we were obviously complicit in our rebellion against God. However, the devil succeeded in murdering our spiritual fellowship with God. The devil seeks to murder people and especially to murder people spiritually. He wants to take human souls to eternal death with him. Another thing that the devil does is he speaks. Okay, the devil is a speaker. He speaks evil words to us. He speaks evil words about us in an attempt to destroy us and in an attempt to destroy God's church. 
And here are some of the ways that the devil uses words for evil. The devil lies with his words, okay? Jesus says that within the devil's being, there is no truth. There's no truth in the devil. He does not stand in the truth. And so the lies that he speaks are an expression of what's inside his heart. Lies. <laughs> the devil's a liar. He's the father of lies. And the devil tells us that God is not real and that his promises aren't true. That's what he wants to hammer in our heads over and over again. God's not real. God's not trustworthy. Did he really say this? The devil also uses words to tempt us to do evil. He whispers into our ear and he tells us that, you know, you, you deserve to be worshipped. You deserve to let yourself off, have a little fun. You deserve, come on, just this one time. It's your time. It's your turn. You work hard. The devil points us to a million different created things and he tells us, if you just have this thing, you're going to be happy. I know it's not exactly what God says you need, but I'm telling you, if you get that one thing, or if you get these 10 things, you're going to be happy and you're going to be fulfilled. And so the devil tempts us to disbelieve and to disobey God. With his words, the devil slanders. He speaks evil words and lies about the name of Jesus and about Christians and about the church. The devil accuses with his words. He's called the accuser. He reminds you of all your sins for which Jesus has forgiven you. He tells you how rotten you are. He, he wants you to feel horrible and terrible and hopeless and discouraged. And he accuses you to God. And he, he tries to convince God that you're not worth saving because of your many sins. Man, thankful, thankful for Romans 8, which says... If you're in Christ, who is there to condemn? <laughs> Who's going to condemn you? The judge is the one who justified you. In Jesus, you are already free. <laughs> Praise God. The devil destroys. He seeks to destroy and murder and lie and tempt and slander and accuse us. This is how he acts. So stand firm against this, you guys, in your own life. Lest you imitate the devil. I read Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 every Sunday morning because it's about the armor of God. Don't play games with the devil. We need Jesus' protection. Fourth, why is the devil the father of humanity? Well, when God created humanity, he was, he was their father. He was, he was, he was our, our father and we were his sons and daughters and when the devil tempted humanity to disobey him and he told them that they could themselves be God, humanity believed him and they fell into sin. And humans believed the devil instead of God and they obeyed the devil instead of God. And the curse upon humanity that God cursed humanity with for rejecting God was to be rejected by God. We were expelled from the garden, from God's presence. We no longer had a father-son relationship, a father-daughter relationship. God gave to us the very thing we said we wanted most, sin and the devil. And so humanity became sons of the devil and slaves of sin. Now fifth, why does Jesus say that it is humanity's will 
to do the devil's desires. It is humanity's will. That doesn't sound like free will to me. I thought everybody had complete freedom to choose to do whatever he or she wants. You're telling me it's humanity's will to do the devil's desires? Well, like we said earlier, when humanity rejected God and submitted itself to its new master, the devil, God gave us fully to the devil. He didn't allow us to become as evil as we could potentially be. For instance, we didn't transform into demons, okay? But God did allow sin, sin to enter our entire being and to warp our entire humanity. That includes our bodies. That's why there's sickness and death. Includes being our souls are warped. That's why we're spiritually dead to God. That's why our minds are warped, why we think untrue thoughts and embrace thoughts that are not in alignment with God's desires for us. And God um, allowed the devil and sin to warp our wills, our desires. And when God cursed us, he didn't take away our ability to make choices, right? We're not robots, we make choices. We are accountable for the choices we make in our lives. However, the very mechanism that determines what we will choose to do was warped. And that mechanism is called our will, our desires. Sin ruined us so terribly that apart from divine intervention, we naturally will or desire to sin. And Jesus says that we naturally will to do what the devil desires. So, so when we make choices, we choose sin. We choose to do what's in alignment with the devil's desires, not God's desires. We're, we're slaves to the devil, and we think we're free, and Jesus wants us to know you're not free, and you don't want to stay there. We're not a humanity that is free, you guys. And to determine if that's true, all you have to do is look at the world around you. <laughs> See how people act upon their wills and desires. Do you see a country running to Jesus? Do you see a world that is running to the Lord and is falling on their knees and saying, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned against you? That's not what I see. I see a world immersing itself in everything the Lord hates. But the devil loves it. Violence and terrorism and fear and the murder of human lives, born and unborn, and sexual sin of all types, brokenness in families, and greed and vanity and gossip and slander and hatred and bitterness and idol-worshiping, worshiping people and hobbies and romance and wealth and a million other things instead of Jesus. We are not part of a humanity that naturally takes joy in Jesus Christ and wants to sacrifice everything to worship him. Our humanity wills to do the desires of the devil. And this is why humanity doesn't believe the truth of Jesus in our flesh, because it naturally believes its father, the devil. So in verses 45 to 47, Jesus says, But because I tell the truth... You do not believe me. You see that? Because he's telling the truth, we don't believe him. If he told us a lie, we would believe him. But because he tells us the truth, we do not believe him. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So we do not hear and obey God in our flesh because we aren't of God in our flesh. We're of the devil. If we were of God naturally, then this world would be filled with people chasing after Jesus. And to prove that he's telling the truth, Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? In other words, if you think I'm lying, then show me how. And if you think that I'm sinful, if you think I'm not a credible witness, then point out my sin to me. And they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't point out his sin to me, him because he was perfect. He, was, he had no flaws. D.A. Carson writes, If the best theological minds find it impossible to marshal convincing reasons to convict Jesus of sin, then shouldn't they begin to question themselves? <laughs> yeah, they should begin to question themselves. Since Jesus has a perfect track record of sinlessness and truthfulness, maybe they ought to question their own beliefs. Maybe they will quickly realize that Jesus really is God, that his word is truth. It sounds so simple, but our wills are ruined, and we don't really want Jesus. We don't want to hear his word because we're more enthralled with the lies of this world and the lies that our father, the devil, speaks to us. So if these people who lived with Jesus, who ate meals with Jesus, who talked to Jesus, who watched Jesus heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead to life, if these people did not believe him, then how in the world can any of us trust in him 2,000 years later? Listen up. Because our salvation is not about who the devil is, it's about who Jesus is, okay? Jesus is the bondage breaker, okay? Jesus is the only sacrificial lamb who died on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the speaker of truth who speaks more ferociously than the devil, and Jesus commands our souls to be free, God is the one who intervenes in our lives while we are still a long way off. And with his word, he draws us to himself with power. With his word, Jesus tells our dead spirits to be born again. And he takes our dead spirits and he recreates them. And our souls obey our true father, God, who are no longer under the eternal dominion of the devil because of Jesus. God alone is our hope that we can be freed from this tyranny, from the desires of Satan for us. God the Father, our true Father, saw us in our slavery. And even though we desired and deserved that slavery, our Heavenly Father had compassion on us like we can hardly comprehend. And God the Father sent his only son, Jesus, to free us from the slavery to our sin, which we brought upon ourselves, to free our warped wills that were set on doing the devil's desires so that now we could desire God. Jesus came to free us from death and hell. And God could not have sacrificed anything greater to purchase our freedom for us. He killed his only son for us. And God became our sins on the tree and he killed our sins so that the eternal power of sin and the devil would no longer have power over us. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, God applies the work of Jesus to our souls 
and draws us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Wow. That's the message of the gospel. In the 1500s, the great reformer Martin Luther wrote, let all the free will in the world do all it can with all its strength. It will never give rise to a single instance of ability to avoid being hardened if God does not give us his spirit. In John 6, Jesus said that, that God the Father must draw a person to himself with divine power. In 6.37, Jesus says that everyone who the Father gives to him will come to him. In 6.45, we read that they willingly come to Jesus because they've been taught by God. God has spoken to them with power so that they can now treasure the word of God, obey the word of Jesus for the first time and forever. And friends, if you believe that Jesus is God and that he must free you from your slavery to sin and from the devil, then praise God because the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. And if the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus fills you with love for Jesus and a devotion to Jesus and a desire to obey Jesus in all aspects of your life, then praise God because he's at work in you. And if you're here today and you don't know what to think about all this, I'm glad you're here. But I'll tell you this, do everything you can as soon as, as soon as possible to get to the bottom of Jesus. Pray to him. Ask him to show you his truth. Meet with a pastor or a Christian parent or a Christian friend. Voice your doubts. Voice your questions. Don't waste time on this. Because <laughs> you, you and I, just, we just don't know how much time we have left. And if you belong to Jesus... Get this, you don't need to be afraid of the devil anymore, okay? You're covered by the blood of Jesus. You're hidden in Jesus himself. God has set his seal of ownership on you, and you belong to him forever. You don't need to be afraid of the devil, but do be cautious of the devil. He is alive. He is aggressive. He is always on the prowl looking for someone to devour. The devil and his demons mask themselves as angels of light, too. They manifest themselves in all sorts of tempting ways. And the devil knows that since you belong to Jesus, then he cannot have you for eternity. And he does not like that. And so his strategy is to do everything in his power to disable you, to scare you and to destroy you in this life so that you do not have joy in Jesus but take heart. I'm preaching to myself. Because <laughs> Jesus says that his spirit who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. On the cross, Jesus set you free from sin so that you could stay free from sin. So don't offer your life to the devil again to be his slave. Don't submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. You gotta make war. We've got to make war against sin and against the devil. That's, that's the Christian life. Arm yourself with God's word, which he says is the, the sword of the spirit. Arm yourself with the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Arm yourself with Jesus. Abide in his word. Remember that the devil is a speaker. So be on guard against lies that you hear in your head that cause you to doubt God. 
Stand guard against daydreams and a wandering mind that causes you to feel accused and condemned. Stand guard against thoughts of hatred and bitterness which the devil will plant over and over into your head so that they'll sink into your heart and so that they'll overflow out of your mouth as gossip and slander. Stand guard against the evil that you put into your head. It's great that Netflix is $8.99 a month, okay? There's a lot of junk on there, right? Stand guard against evil movies and images that you put into your head. It's not a joke. It's real. That's why I don't like watching scary movies anymore. Because it's not, it's not a game. Read the Bible often so that you can, you can verify, man, what I'm thinking and feeling is alignment, in alignment with God's word. And if what I'm hearing and feeling and thinking isn't in alignment with the truth of Jesus, then it's not from Jesus. And I need to know that, and I need to see that. And you guys, we were not designed to do this thing alone. We weren't designed to live the Christian life alone. It's not a one-man battle. You and I need this time right now more than we know. We need to worship Jesus for the, souls, for the sake of our souls more than we know. We need to hear God's word preached more than we know, not just on Sunday, but in, during the week. <laughs> we need fellowship with other Christians more than we know. You need Christian community. You need discipleship relationships in your life. Men, do you have any other men in your life who you're real with, who you could talk to, and link arms with in your fight against the devil and against temptations. If you're married, then your wife is your first accountability partner after God. Do not keep any secrets from your wife. But in addition to your wife, are there men who you can meet with and be real with? Is there a mature Christian that you can seek out to mentor you in your walk with the Lord? That is a joy to build those types of friendships, gospel-centered friendships. Men, women, teenagers, we need those kind of relationships in our lives because they help us persevere. They help us keep going. Close Christian friends help us take the word of God and apply it to our lives when we need it and where we need it, like a doctor who knows the right remedy at the right time. We need to pray for spiritual protection. You guys, we need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves for one another, for our church. For me. We got to link arms fight the fight together. That movie Gladiator, the way that they beat the bad guys is all the guys have to stand together. You have to stand together. When the lions hunt, how do they get, how do they get food? They take one person out at a time. That's what they do. They look for the straggler. They separate them from the, the flock, and that's how they get them. We have to stick together. Man, I... <sighs> Thank <laughs> you.
I love Jesus. At this this week, reflect on Jesus, you guys. Reflect on how much he loves you and what he's done for you and what he's doing for you right now as he see, intercedes. Sorry. <laughs> Celebrate what Jesus promises to do in the future. I'm going to close with this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for being here. We can't do this thing alone. We thank you that you are so powerful, that you've done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We live in a dark world. Jesus, help us in our weakness to shine your light. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.